0: What's going on, Podcast World? It's Zach Bellman with Small Town BS. It is April 29th, 2020. It is just a few days after the NFL draft, and myself and a special guest recap the NFL draft here today. Uh, our guest today is Andrew Weedman of Vegas Sports Daily. He and I have known each other for a number of years, and he's a guy I consider pretty well informed, has his, has his finger on the pulse of all things football. Uh, So he and I talked for about 80 minutes on the NFL draft, clearly don't touch on everything, but we did kind of focus on two teams drafts. We looked at the Packers and Eagles and, you know, the various decisions that they made in the 2020 NFL draft, which we thought were very interesting on both ends. And get in a little bit to uh, a couple other teams as well that we thought had good drafts. So if you enjoy the podcast, please be follow, following on Spotify. Uh, tweet me at Zach Bellman underscore WNY and enjoy this interview with Andrew Weedman. My guest today is Andrew Weedman, co founder and lead content creator for vegas sports daily andrew is joining me from a building whose roof sustained some significant water damage last night (laughs) andrew how are you staying above water over there
1: yeah um you know woke up this morning to some water damage uh we've been getting uh hit hard with some rain over here and you know they inspected the house and everything they said the roof is fine but you know clearly not but Um, getting it getting it fixed right now hopefully by the end of the week it's all taken care of
0: yeah I've been there back from the Beloit days for sure I know how that goes Uh, well we appreciate you being on the show today we're going to talk some NFL draft recap today several topics I wanted to dive into including both our teams the Packers and Eagles taking quarterbacks early overall thoughts on our respective teams drafts and the long-term prognosis for both of our teams. But first I kind of wanted to start with just the draft as a spectacle this year, Andrew, for football fans like you and I, I think we watch a decent amount of of the draft, you know, every year, um, and, and see quite a bit of the, the pageantry and circumstance that Mm -hmm. uh, surrounds the draft typically. And obviously with the situation being what it is right now, a lot of that stuff uh, couldn't really happen, but I think what we got instead, um, You know, whether it be uh, these webcams, these live cams on uh, uh, team GMs and head coaches, I think were uh, pretty fascinating glimpses into, uh, you know, kind of some of the behind the scenes. And I'm sure, uh, you know, for some of these uh, general managers and and head coaches, it was nice to be around their families during this time. What did you think of just kind of the presentation of the draft this year and how that all went?
1: I mean, it ran, I think, really smoothly because I I think going in, you know, obviously when you're running everything virtually, you're expecting to run into some hiccups, whether it be, you know, maybe a team couldn't get their pick in because, you know, something went wrong or whatever. But um, it was it was interesting overall to kind of just witness it, how to me, it didn't really feel too much different because we're still sitting here, you know, we're watching. We still have commentary going with everybody um, you know, like your, your draft commentators, you know, you still get in the commentary. It didn't feel, you know, too different. The only thing obviously you couldn't really see is like, you know, the actual draft room where you have, you know, your 30 some, 40 some perspective, you know, um, college players, you know, sitting there waiting in the green room, waiting to get selected, you know, walking on the stage. So obviously you don't get to see a whole lot of that, but from a spectator viewpoint, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And there was there was no hiccups at all that I saw. Um, you know, everybody got their picks in on time. It seemed good. You know, we got glimpses into coaches or GMs or owners or whoever was doing the drafting. You know, how you know into their home life or wherever they were at. I mean, Jerry Jones was sitting in the middle of a yacht doing his so
0: <laughs> so I mean, vintage Jerry Jones.
1: <laughs> literally vintage Jerry Jones, and so it was it was a cool and interesting experience. Obviously, you know it was it it sucked for the city of Vegas because you know Vegas is supposed to be hosting the draft this year. You know it's their first year in the NFL, and you know unfortunately they weren't able to do it. But um, so you know, it sucks for the city of Vegas. But overall, man, I mean, I I actually kind of enjoyed it, and like I I I don't want to say that I'm shocked that there was no hiccups, you know, but I'm glad that there wasn't because that made it a really enjoyable experience.
0: Yeah, definitely. And on the on the Vegas end, uh, Goodell did announce during the draft, I think during the first or second round there that Vegas uh is getting a, a future draft, right? Is it twenty twenty two or
1: yeah, I believe it's twenty twenty two because I believe they already announced the um I believe they announced the twenty twenty one NFL draft and where that was getting held. Um which if I believe memory... was in Cleveland. Right,
0: yeah, I was gonna say if memory serves, I think it was Cleveland, so I think you're right yeah, think
1: there. Yeah, I think it's Cleveland. So obviously they're not, you know, going to switch that up. But I think, yeah, he announced that Vegas is going to do it in 2022 again, which is, you know, it's a good thing for him to do.
0: Um, yeah, and and I think overall, speed updated. Yeah, I think overall the the presentation really encompassed what those three days, you know, what it's become uh, in terms of what that three days is really about in terms of, you know, and, and it's something that I think our society in general needs right now, which is hope. Uh, you know, I think it really. Mm-hmm uh encompassed a lot of that for these teams for these players i mean I, I i loved all the the webcams that they had of you know individual players and stuff like that gathered around small you know groups of their immediate family because you know sometimes when they have those shots it's like everybody in the neighborhood shows up. And I, I don't doubt that, uh, you know, it, it, as the saying goes, it takes a village and I don't doubt that, uh, everybody in that shot had some impact on the player's life, but it was kind of interesting to just have a, a small gathering of just, you know, a couple parents, a couple close friends or something like that. Um, and, and just see those people, uh, appreciate that moment. I think that honestly, you know, beyond the, you know, the excitement, the hope that, that y- your team is getting better. Uh, I think the, the, the cool thing for me about watching the draft is seeing dreams realized. And obviously, you know, we know statistically that for, you know, about half that draft class is going to be out of the league in a couple of years. But, you know, for that one day, um, you know, there's just so much hope there. There's just a realization of a dream and, and it's all, you know, kind of coming and leading up to this uh, moment of being drafted into the NFL and Uh, I just, I just love every bit of that. I love the phone calls with, with players as they're welcomed to the league by their team and, um, just all that stuff and all the emotion that comes out from that is just, uh, incredible. And, uh, you know, like you said, there just the, the small gatherings or the, um, you know, seeing like, uh, seeing like, you know, behind the scenes, seeing people's dogs and stuff like that. Like it was hilarious, you know, that, that screenshot that everybody got of, uh, bill belichick's dog hopping into his chair and and stuff like that like stuff like that was just stuff we've never seen in the draft before and um you know i thought was a was something that i think the nfl should look at in the future for like days two and three of the draft i mean uh maybe not day one maybe keep day one as a as a um you know its usual thing as far as inviting players and into the green room and stuff like that. Mm. Maybe at the top 10 or 15 prospects or something like that. But um, I, I really thought, uh, you know what they did this year with uh, you know, the webcams and all that stuff really added a personal touch. One thing I do want to touch on though, that I really did not like about uh, ESPN's presentation in particular, although you said, and I would agree that they did a great job with keeping the broadcast moving and bringing in a lot of insight and analysis. The one thing that really grinded my gears as far as ESPN's coverage was um, some of the anecdotes that they chose to add to a few of these players' bios when they yes. were drafted. Uh, I was pretty infuriated by by some of the things that just had no relevancy to them as a draft prospect. Or yeah, I understand, like, you know, you want to, like I said, you know, this is about guys overcoming adversity, guys, uh, you know, working towards getting to the league. And, you know, this is an, absolutely a dream come true day for them. And, you know, to have that put alongside, the one that really stuck with me from the whole weekend, and there were there were a lot of, this wasn't an outlier, but the one that stuck with me was they were talking about some uh, skill position player, I think it was a wide receiver, Mm-hmm. and they go yeah he's just incredibly versatile and like in the same breath he goes yeah he comes his, his hometown has double the homicide rate of the national average and you know he's going to be looking to bring that versatility to uh yeah. like lit like and you yeah. know oh it just it just really grinded my gears to just mm-hmm. <laughs> to just have that kind of stuff. i don't know what you thought of, of that kind of stuff uh, you know, yeah like, uh, but
1: yeah, there was another one too, I'm trying to remember who it was. It was a pretty popular player that got drafted mid round. One of the uh the anecdotes that was listed on his like, you know, like you know how like ESPN pops up the little bios or whatever and shows mm-hmm. it. And it said, uh it was like Mother was a recovering crack addict for 25 years, and I'm like, like, why is that anybody's business to know? Yeah, I think it
0: was uh, it was T Higgins, the second round draft pick of the Bengals, who I think they said in the bottom of his graphic, his his mother fought a has fought a 16 year battle with. uh, Yeah, that was the other one that that really upset me. But what was interesting is he actually retweeted that, and you know, because there was kind of a viral tweet that went around of you know kind of calling ESPN out for that but uh T Higgins actually responded to that on Twitter and and you know said that that was fine and that um you know he was he was proud of his mother and stuff like that so but mm-hmm. I, I still you know obviously it's their family their business and you know yeah. what what they chose to you know maybe share in the in the lead up is is up to them but uh i don't know if it was entirely appropriate for ESPN to go in some of the directions that they yeah. That they went with, with that kind of stuff. But other than that, I mean, like you said, like the, the draft kept moving uh and you know, there weren't any significant delays. Obviously, I think there was a report in the lead up that they had, you know, some sort of catastrophic failure when they uh tried a mock draft a few days prior. So I was glad that everything went off without a hitch. The draft picks kept moving, the broadcast kept moving. And uh, you know, it was overall just a, a very well done draft. So um all right. Well, without further ado, I, I realize I've been putting this off, but uh, let's let's look at the let's look at the drafts for each of our favorite teams, the Packers and Eagles. And obviously we have to you know start with the most important position in football, that being quarterback, which both our teams objectively had solidified for the next couple of years. But mm-hmm. nonetheless. Green Bay took Jordan Love 26 overall after trading up from 30 and Philadelphia took Jalen Hurts 53rd overall in the second round which to some felt like a reach. Let's start with the Packers, Andrew. What did you think of the selection of Love and the situation that he's entering in Green Bay?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I remember I was doing a uh a live uh, you know, uh draft watch party with a couple people. You were there. I mean, you you saw my reaction to it, you know? I mean, it was you know, nobody was expecting to this day still that Jordan Love was going to be picked. Mm -hmm. We all thought it was going to be receivers. There were still a bunch of receivers on the board, you know, that were pretty solid. Um, so when we all saw Jordan Love, you know, it was, you know, it it was quite a shock. Um, as far as how he fits in though, I mean, still, I still need to see him a little bit because I, I, I was kind of on the bandwagon as well that he was, you know, a kind of an overrated prospect. Um, Still needs a lot of work. He's still pretty raw. Um, the only thing that, you know, is, you know, to me, this is exactly about the time that the Packers drafted Rodgers, you know, mm-hmm. for, when to replace Brett Favre. So um, I think that they have that in the back of their minds that, you know, I mean, Rodgers still has some good, like a couple, couple good years left, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Jordan Love sits, you know, for those three years behind Rodgers. Maybe Rodgers can teach him a thing or two, you know. Let him learn, let him you know polish off his skills that he needs to. Um, let him work with uh, Coach Lafleur. Let him work with Rodgers. Uh, let him work with Nathaniel Hackett. Like you know, they got people there that can kind of train. Like you know, get this guy going. Um, so I think you know I, I see the I see the point right there. But again, I mean, Green Bay was what a thirteen and three team last year, and I mean. Mm-hmm you know, it's not really the time to like rebuild. I mean, they're, they're in a win now mode. Like you guys weren't too far off. I mean, Green Bay was not too far off of being, you know, a contender again. I mean, they're getting, you know, equanimity, St. Brown back. He should be healthy. You guys signed Devin Funches. you know, you still have Devontae Adams, still got Aaron Jones, Uh Jamal Williams, two-headed monster. And then, you know, uh the rookie AJ Dillon that got drafted. So, I mean, the offense is there. The offense has pieces. The defense was still really solid. Um, I I just would have liked to them to take another pick and maybe take a flyer on you know somebody later in the re- later in the draft. You know like mm-hmm. maybe a Jake Fromm, um, somebody somebody like that. Or could have just wait till next year. The quarterback class for next year is going to be insane. Um. So I still I still don't know how I feel about it. You know I guess it's all going to come down to how Jordan Love performs in the preseason
0: and then kind of see how he does there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot to unpack there, but uh kind of what I wanted to start with was um you know, just I I personally I think if they were going to take if you would have told me the Packers are taking a quarterback this year and relying on this guy to be you know, kind of the future within 5 years, uh I I would have I would have said like you know, I want that in the first round. And and what I like about it, honestly, is that um you know, especially because quarterback is not a dime a dozen position as evidenced by the, you know, wide range of quality of QB QB play across oh, yeah. the league. Um, but, you know, I, I really love that no pun intended, that uh that Green Bay decided, you know, this is our guy. You know, rather than let let the draft fall to them. Obviously there were reports out there that uh a team potentially like the Colts was looking to move up and, you know, I think they were getting calls for their draft pick at 30, which is why they decided, you know, this is our guy. We want to make sure we get him. Um, so, you know, rather than let the draft fall to them – and they only – this wasn't, like – this wasn't the Bears trading a whole draft to move up for Mitch Trubisky. This was a fourth-round pick that they lost out of this, which, like, if if this guy becomes anything, a fourth-round pick is going to be, like, you know, no, no loss at all. Um mm-hmm you know, in the long term. But, um, you know, and and just on the on the note of uh, Love being raw, I would definitely agree with that. I think in some of his decision-making, I think, needs refinement and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, remember Aaron Rodgers wasn't, uh, you know, a finely-tuned machine coming out of Cal either. He had particularly, I mean, one of the most noticeable mechanical things was he held the ball practically at his neck uh, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a thrower. And I'm not sure how that really was taught to him or, or what, but uh, the Packers obviously coached that out of him, And, and uh, he's obviously been able to develop into quite the escape artist in the pocket. And, you know, that's definitely a tribute to uh, the coaching out of that particular mechanical issue and stuff like that. And I'm sure there's little things like that, um, you know, that are g- going to come into play as well. Um, you know, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting that not a lot of people are touching on in in relationship to this, because obviously the parallels between uh, 2020 and 2005, when they drafted Aaron Rodgers, are are pretty noticeable, uh, both in Rodgers and Favre's age at the time, and and just uh, you know them both being relatively competitive teams. But I think the the key difference is that this is a GM and Brian Gutekunst in his third year. And a head coach in Matt Lafleur entering his second year, and they obviously want to occupy these positions for longer than the remainder of Aaron Rodgers' prime years. And I absolutely did not, you know, blame them for wanting to have the quarterback position uh, solidified. Especially because when you think about uh, Aaron Rodgers' injury concerns, I mean, he's missed the better part of two seasons with collarbone injuries in his prime. So he's not going to magically get more durable, I would say, at 40 than he is uh, right now. And so, you know, I think the, uh, the, the one thing that Packers fans have kind of struggled with over the past 30 years or so, though, is this idea of viewing a team of 53 players through the lens of a single player. It happened with Favre, and it's kind of what made that divorce so difficult, and I think it's happening now again with the Rodgers to potentially Jordan Love transition, and I just wish, as a fan base, we had kind of learned from the the Favre to Rodgers transition, developed a little patience, and um, you know, hopefully that we we treat Jordan Love a little bit better than uh, than Aaron Rodgers was treated, because there was, you know, there was there was definitely a, a spattering of booze and you know uh, those kinds of things that just uh, you know, chance for Favre to come back when that decision was made in in 2000 after the 2007 season to move on. Um, but you know, how do you, I mean, we can only speculate from this position, but how, how do you anticipate that relationship kind of playing out between love and Rogers specifically? Um, well,
1: you know, I don't follow the Packers too closely, but I have heard that, you know, Rogers has been kind of, you know, not that great of a dude I've heard in the locker room. Um, you know, I've heard there's a lot of, like, between him and the GM and whatever. And I know early on with Lafleur early in the season, I mean, you could see it, you know, in-game about how Rogers was kind of displeased with Lafleur. I, I kind of noticed that a little bit. Um, but between him and Love, I think when it comes down to it, like, Rogers is ultimately going to, like, you know, Rogers is a good guy. So he's going to put him under his tutelage and he's still gonna he's gonna train this guy up because regardless i think he knows i mean he's 36 35 i mean he knows he's getting Mm -hmm. into the uh um eclipse of his career i mean he he knows it you know it's not hard to see you know you got guys like right now like rivers roethlisberger all them like i mean they know that their time's running out um so i mean they're they're looking towards the future because ultimately like especially with rogers i mean he's been a packer for life like he's probably going to be a Packer fan, you know, after he retires, you know, all that other stuff. So he's not going to want to see – he's not going to want to let the Packers just crash and burn after he leaves. So I think ultimately, like, yeah, he may not have been happy about it first because he wanted the help. You know, obviously he wanted help on the offensive side of the ball. But when it comes down to it, like, ultimately I think between him and Love, I think it's going to go fine. It's just mostly the fan base, you know, like you mentioned earlier with, you know, how they treated Rodgers when he first got in the league and all that other stuff. So – between him and Jordan Love, I think he's going to do what he's going to do best and he's going to train this guy up and, you know, kind of pass on, like, basically like how Farb did far did with him.
0: Yeah. What I would hope for, even if there is, you know, even if Rodgers decides I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to let the coaches uh, kind of tell Jordan what to watch and just kind of lead by example. And even if he decides I'm not going to really, you know, do anything directly on my own. I hope there is just one, maybe heart to heart conversation about um, you know, what, what following Brett was like and what some of the adversity, because if there is anybody who on the planet who should understand what Jordan love may be facing in the next few years, it is Aaron oh, Rodgers. Yeah. And I think if, if not more so because you know now the packers have seen the better part of the last 30 years of hall of fame quarterback play and you know whatever whatever comes of that there's going to be immense pressure on jordan love to perform uh you know from the outset especially if aaron Rodgers is still in the league potentially suiting up for another team i mean the Disaster scenario that I kind of came up with in, in my head that was making things on uh, on Thursday night a little bit difficult to sleep that night was um, just this prospect of, you know, things washing out by the third year. Um, because I, I, I think as we look at the salary cap implications, I mean, Rogers is not going anywhere for, I think, at least two years. Um, there, there's just too much money on the front end of that deer deal that that would be just a cap disaster for the Packers to uh do anything really with um you know with, with Rodgers in the next 2 years but i think you know by years 3 and 4 when you're getting towards the end of both Love and Rodgers deals Rodgers is signed for the next 4 years and Love is signed for 4 with a 5th year option um you know it's it's going to be becoming decision time for the for this team and Um, you know, I think definitely that, uh, that, you know, that is when we could see Rogers say, you know, I, I'd see myself playing another three, four years beyond that next two. And, um, you know, the Packers wanted to make a move at that point and him potentially suiting up for another team. But the disaster scenario I came up with was if Rogers feels similarly spited to, uh, um, you know, when he was, uh, when he was, um, you know, first traded to the Jets mm-hmm. and then signed with the Vikings. And I just thought the disaster scenario was him signing with, you know, God forbid Chicago, yeah. which would just like induce projectile vomiting, I think. Um, but uh, that would uh, – I, I don't see something like that entirely outside the realm of possibility that Aaron Rodgers suits up for another team mm-hmm. uh, in the next – three to four years, uh, which is just wild to think about because if you had asked me before that draft or, you know, anything like that, like, you know, what what is the rough time frame for Aaron Rodgers, all things being equal, saying they don't draft a quarterback this year, um, I think it's still very viable that uh, he plays out that four-year deal and then kind of does what Brady has done over the last couple of years, kind of take it year to year and and maybe, you know, sign a couple more one-year, two-year deals or something like that, um, you know, to maybe finish out his career with the Packers, which Brady didn't even finish out yeah. with the Patriots. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's it, I think it's just a different era where quarterbacks are playing longer, and, you know, as a result, uh, you know, the, it this riding off into the sunset with a Super Bowl trophy kind of like John Elway is just uh, – mm-hmm. Not as viable as it once was, but let's shift gears here to um, Jalen Hurts now, and just the yeah. Eagles, not necessarily being in the same situation as the Packers with Carson Wentz. <laughs> I mean, he's still in his relative prime, but you know, what, I, I know you were kind of a little bit uh, perplexed by this pick for the Eagles. What, what were you, what were you kind of thinking, and how do you think he projects? Uh, you know, going into this next couple of years. Yeah, I mean,
1: the biggest reason that I'm perplexed by it is. I mean, the Eagles have no had no help have no help in their secondary at all. Mm-hmm. Corners are near the bottom. I mean, just traded for Darius Slay, got Darius Slay, but I mean that's one guy. Um, lost yeah. to Malcolm Jenkins in free agency, um, so we have a converted uh, corner playing safety right now with Rodney McLeod. We have Jalen Mills, and I mean, there's not a whole lot behind. I mean, the corners are you know. Avonte Maddox, Rasul Douglas, Sidney Jones, Craven LeBlanc. I mean, it's guys that are like, I mean, they're just guys. They're not, you know, these playmakers that are going to go out there and, you know, shut people down and get plays. So, I mean, the, the biggest reason for perplexity is because is because of that. We passed on, I mean, the cornerback class was insanely deep. Like, I mean, there were so many top corners in the draft. And, uh, obviously, they elected in the first round to go with Jalen Rager. You know, that's fine. Really solid mm-hmm. play really solid playmaker. Um, I didn't like the pick at first just because I wanted a bigger bodied receiver like uh Justin Jefferson who went um just actually I think one pick later. Um yeah, mm-hmm. to Minnesota. Um uh, but you know, ultimately he's a big playmaker. But it's going to Jalen Hurts. He got picked at uh pick fifty three and a couple guys behind him that got selected where Christian Fulton uh, went, pick sixty-one to the Titans, and Fulton was rated as a top-three corner in the draft. Um, not sure why he slipped. Maybe it was just like a you know like a scheme issue with you know a couple teams. But he's he he was a solid lockdown corner for LSU. Great guy. Um, Jeremy Chin, a safety out of Southern Illinois, um, another safety. Ashton Davis went right after that, and so you know there was picks there, and then you know. Everybody was kind of shocked. We picked, uh, they picked Jalen Hurts. And there's been early talk about, you know, how they're going to utilize Hurts because they're, they're not just going to let him sit on the bench. And they're, mm-hmm. they're giving him the quote-unquote Taysom Hill role. And if you look at Taysom Hill, I mean, he's, he's kind of revolutionized the game a little bit. We really have, we re, in our lifetime, we really never experienced utility guys on the offensive side of the ball. Um, Taysom Hill, he's, he's played tight end. He's played running back quarterback wide receiver he's a kick returner i mean he does literally everything um and so i've heard that um eagles camp is looking at using hurts in that way as a wildcat quarterback you know maybe put him out wide on, as a wide receiver run a couple reverse reverses with them you know some wide receiver passes or just get him some shotgun looks use them on use them in the return game <sighs> i I don't. I don't mind the idea of having somebody like that on the team, but not mm-hmm. in the second round when you had bigger needs to address. Yeah. Like that's the biggest problem that I think everybody has is we're not doubting that Jalen Hurts is talented because he is. I mean he's a he's a winner. I mean he won in Alabama, you know. And then he went to Oklahoma with this prolific offense and was putting up forty, fifty points a game. Like, I mean he's he's a great player. Like nobody's denying that. It's just. Philadelphia has a lot bigger needs that they need to take care of. Especially with Dallas now having maybe the best wide receiver core in the NFL, um, with Michael Gallup Mark uh, Cooper, and then now Ceedee Lamb. Like, man, I mean, that's insane. (laughs) And then you're you're gonna you know playing them two times a year with you know this makeshift secondary that you're gonna get torched. I mean, it's it's no doubt about it. So.
0: Yeah, I think where where Mike McCarthy's offense struggled is where, you know, Green Bay kind of, you know, lost a few of their playmakers and stuff like that and didn't get thing, you know, didn't get things necessarily replenished. Obviously, we it's been beaten to death uh, the lack of playmakers that the Packers brought in over the last 15 years of Aaron Rodgers' career, but uh, you know, I think that's where McCarthy's offense kind of hit a snag in Green Bay and now he's got He's a kid in the candy store with everything he's got with Dallas, for sure. I mean, then
1: they just signed, you know, Prescott's still there. They franchise tagged him, so he's there for at least another year. Um, who knows if he's getting a mm-hmm. long-term deal? You know, I've heard they're not really sure. You know, Jason Garrett wasn't sure. Jerry Jones still isn't sure. Um, but that's – so that's good to see. But I just – just Jalen Hurts, man. I, I Like I said, I love the idea of having, you know, that Swiss Army knife on offense – there's just there is just bigger needs. It wasn't really necessary. Um obviously, like, you know, you can make the case that, you know, Carson does have durability issues. I mean, that's fine. Um But Nate Sudfeld for for what he's worth is not a bad backup to have. I mean, when he's had to go in there, he hasn't performed too terribly. Obviously, like I think it gets overshadowed because everybody's like, Oh yeah, you know, Nick Foles, you know, we won the Super Bowl with a backup, like we need that we need that backup. But, I mean, look at Nick Foles now. I mean, didn't really do it. Hasn't really done anything. Jacksonville got hurt even when he came back. He wasn't that great. I mean, he just – he fit Philly's offense. And, you know, Doug Peterson is a really good offensive mind. Kind of runs that RPO style now with Carson. And, I mean, the offense is fine. Um, Now that we got – you know, I mean, the Eagles wide receivers going into the playoffs, it was – is you know, it was led by Greg Ward, who was a, un, been an undrafted free agent back in 2017, played in Canada for a year, and then he's been a practice squad guy. They had JJ Arcega-Whiteside, who was another terrible pick last year, in round two, um, and then just a bunch of other practice squad guys with the guys that they got. You know, Marcus Green, Robert Davis, River Craycraft. I mean, nobody knows who these guys are, but that's what. They were dealing with last year, you know, towards the end because mm-hmm. Deshaun Jackson got hurt week two, Alshon Jeffrey got hurt. Um, I mean, Nelson Aguilar couldn't catch a cold, and then he actually got hurt. I mean, <laughs> it was all it was the Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard show. And you know, when you're when two when your two tight ends are your best receiver on your team, you know, that's not looking good. Um, but obviously, they fixed that, but. I think Jalen Hurts will add something special and he'll add a spark to the offense, but the defense needed a lot of work and they just didn't address it early for some reason, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they took a, they took a late round and- linebacker. They took a linebacker round three, took a Kayvon Wallace in round four, which I was okay with uh, strong safety, but they didn't take a single corner. And that was the worst part of their team last year.
0: Mhm. And I and I want to circle back to to the whole uh to the whole draft in a second but I I wanted to ask you first um you know how do you as someone that follows the Eagles over the last couple of years um, how do you see Carson Wentz's health at how much of a concern is that for you and especially given you know I I think it was thrown out there you know potentially by Adam Schefter or somebody else um you know, shortly after he was drafted, Jalen Hurts, uh, that like, you know, this could be also a, a situation of shoring up the uh the quarterback position in case, you know, there's coronavirus spread through the team and, you know, God forbid Carson Wentz or anyone else on that team uh, you know, gets it. I mean, uh, how much how much stock do you do you think uh, each of those factors may have played in that situation? I mean
1: when it comes down to it if you look at Deshaun Watson, he's actually missed more games than Carson Wentz in his career, um, but you know yeah. there's no quarterback controversy there. Wentz has only missed eight career regular season games, and obviously you know that big long playoff run where they won the Super Bowl, you know, and then uh, another one last year, year before. So he's missed six um, playoff games, which yeah, obviously like you know that's a big deal. Um, but I think it's it's a lack of. Um, kind of his decision-making when it comes down to it because his big injury obviously came when he, you know, tried to dive into the end zone and, you know, it was really dumb. He dove in between two people, you know, got his leg messed up, his ACL. Um, and then just a couple other injuries. Like, he, he, he forces himself to take hits that he really shouldn't. And so that's really the only reason he's been injured lately with the uh, the ribs and the shoulders mm-hmm. because he's, he's putting himself in positions to take hits that he really shouldn't be. And so I think the, I think it was kind of, it's kind of a wake up call for him seeing oh, okay you know they draft a second round guy like maybe I need to take more care of my body because he ultimately he had free reign you know I mean obviously we they traded up to get him um, make him the second pick you know I mean they 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 invested a lot and he knew that so he's like oh okay you know like I'm a starting quarterback I'm not going anywhere um, now you kind of look at that and you're like okay, you know, maybe I need to start taking better care of myself, you know, and so I definitely think that that played a factor into it because, I mean, he hasn't missed a lot of games, but he misses them at terrible times. Um, I I still don't think that even if he would have missed a game last year, I still think last year was going to go how it was. The, weren't they really that good of a team last year? I mean, Eagles were solid, you know, obviously still in the division, but just the injuries as a whole, not even with him, kind of played out. So, I think even if he was still there, you know, they probably would still would have ended up losing. But you never know. If he was there, maybe they go on another run. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's hard to say. So, there's definitely, you know, durability concerns. But me personally, like, I'm not too concerned about them. um, Just because overall, he hasn't missed a, a lot of games. He's just kind of missed the important ones. Um,
0: right. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of wanted to shift gears from that to kind of talking about the wide receiver position because I think, uh, you know, again, this is kind of another area where where the Packers and Eagles kind of went in different mm-hmm. directions. And uh, obviously it was a I, – I think it was a, you know, a fairly widely perceived need for both teams. I mean, you, you just talked about it earlier. Uh, you know, Aguilar being, uh, you know, a relatively unreliable option. And, uh, you know, he basically was a microcosm of the entire wide receiving court for the Eagles and for the Packers. I mean, it was about finding a a potential guy who could, um, you know, gain separation and, you know, maybe take the top off the defense with some speed. Uh, And obviously the the Packers and Eagles went in two different directions. The Packers taking (laughs) zero wide receivers and the Eagles taking three, including spending their first rounder on mm-hmm. Jalen Rager. Um you know, I'll I'll talk about how I think uh the the Packers went with their receiver, you know, their lack of receiver picks uh in a second. But first I wanted to, you know, get kind of an idea from you, Andrew, what what you think of each of these picks and, and where they were taken mm-hmm. as far as uh addressing the wide receiver needs for yeah, the Eagles. So
1: and initially, I did not like the Jalen Rager pick because I wanted Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson had over 150 catches, 1500 yards over, I believe, 12 or 15 touchdowns last year. I mean, granted, he was catching from Joe Burrow, but I mean, e- easily, probably the fourth best receiver in the class, maybe third. It's debatable. But Jalen Rager was projected as like a second round pick and Eagles sat there and they, they took their guy. So, initially, I didn't mind it because, I mean, he is a speed guy. You know, it's fine. He's going to make plays. But then the other two receivers, uh, we drafted John Hightower in round five, Quez Watkins in round six. And they're both speed guys. So, the Eagles went pure speed, speed, speed. And then if you look at the rest of the wide receivers on their roster, you have Deshaun Jackson, speed, traded for Marquise Goodwin, speed. Um, Then you have Alshon Jeffrey, who – is slow, sure-handed. So you have you have one, you know, probably, you know, overall receiver who can run the routes, get you across the middle of the field. But I don't Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Jackson is not that. He's a pure speed, he's going to get you, you know, four catches for 100 and maybe a touchdown. John Hightower is a pure speed guy, Quez Watkins is a pure speed guy. Uh, Marquise Goodwin from what he's looked in his tape and he has injury concerns of his own. Um, but he's been a pure speed guy. Our Sega Whiteside is a very, we only have a very small sample size of what we've seen from him. Um, but he was mostly drafted for speed. So they do have a lot of speed, mm-hmm. I will say. And I think maybe the reason for all the speed is to open up those, the middle for Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. Um, so I see it from that viewpoint because the Eagles do have two very solid tight ends. um, Ertz was taken – Ertz has been – I think he was drafted uh, 2013. Goddard was 2018, both in the second round. Um, they're very solid over the middle of the field. So, obviously, you get those speed guys out there. I mean, say you go out there with, you know, a 3, uh, three, three wide receiver set, two tight ends. You put Rager, Jackson, and Jeffrey out there. I mean, the middle of the field is probably going to be open at least. I mean, you put uh, – Rager's projected to start in the slot, but I could see him moving outside as well. Um, I would even I would even say you put Jeffrey in the slot, um, put Rager and Deshaun Jackson on the outside. Let them just burn up, uh, open up the middle of the field. Get your sure-handed guys over the middle, and I'm excited to see how all the speed works. I wish they would have taken, you know, another Alshon Jeffrey-esque player in the fifth round or sixth round, maybe even up in the fourth round. Especially because I mean, when you trade for Marquise Goodwin to get speed, and then you draft two more speed guys. You know, to me, that's it's kind of interesting. You know, it's an interesting concept, um, but you can't deny that there's no speed on this offense, especially when you look at their wide receiver, the running backs as well. Sand, Miles Sanders is quick. Boston Scott is quick. I mean, there's a whole lot of speed on the offensive side of the ball now for the Eagles.
0: Definitely, yeah, and I think the. The Packers, you know, are kind of in the exact opposite situation where they got a lot of uh, tall trees, as I've heard a lot of people call them, uh, and, and guys that are good possession receivers, but not necessarily your burners. Um, you know, I'm just looking at the depth chart right now. It basically goes Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, who are both, I mean, you know, Devontae's probably uh, he's not, he's, I think he's like 6'2 or something like that, so he's not like, you know, going to tower over people, but he uh, is a good possession over the middle kind of receiver. And Alan Lazard is obviously a taller possession receiver. Then you got Devin Funchess, who they added in free agency, yes. another possession receiver. And then beyond that, you kind of got some guys who are moderately proven, have shown flashes, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling, who is a speed guy, Jake Cumro who's kind of your, you know, Julian Edelman type, uh, you know, slot receiver. And, um, uh, Equinemius St. Brown, who was injured last year, coming off injury. I'm excited to see what uh, he could potentially do off of injury, missed the entire uh, last year. And, you know, I've got a couple other names Darius Shepard, Malik Taylor, and Reggie Bagleton, who um, have all not really had their chance to shine yet. But, um, you know, I, I look at the Packers draft picks and it's kind of incredible. I just want to quickly go through. Uh, the runs on receivers that happened before almost every time they picked. So, you know, in the first round, obviously, Henry Ruggs at 12, uh, Jerry Judy at, at 15, CeeDee Lamb at 17, Jalen Raker at 21, Justin Jefferson at 22, and right before they pick at 25, Brandon Ayuk at 25. So what's that? One, two, three, four, five, five guys, five wide receivers in 25 picks right before the Packers um, and then in the second round and, and, you know, I think with what we've covered with Jordan love, I have no problem with them uh, taking their guy, you know, at, at uh, 26 there at, and taking the quarterback rather than the wide receiver. Um, but then in the second round, you have uh, T Higgins taken at 33. Then you have Michael Pittman jr. At 34, um, Laviska Chenault at 42 uh, Denver Broncos take K.J. Hamler at 46. Pittsburgh Steelers take Chase Claypool at 49. And then uh, at 57 overall, the Los Angeles Rams take Van Jefferson um, at uh, yeah at 57 there. And then at 59, New York Jets take Denzel Mims at, uh, at 59, three picks ahead of the Packers. So that, by my rough math, <laughs> is... 12 wide receivers taken in the first two rounds. So, you know, as deep as we said, this wide receiver class was going in it, there were, you know, relatively slim pickings as far as impact guys that could step in day one and and make a, you know, make wow. a real move. And that was just in the first couple of rounds. There were a couple other wide receiver runs, uh, here in the third round before they picked. And then what was interesting was, uh, In the fifth round, I believe, let me scroll down there, Uh, I believe in the fifth round at pick number 175 for the Packers, um, they selected Kamal Martin. But what was interesting was uh, two picks earlier, I noticed right away when this happened, uh, the Chicago Bears traded up to 173 and took Darnell Mooney, wide receiver, out of Tulane, which... They had to have done thinking, you know, they didn't trade up too many picks, I don't think, uh, to do that. But they clearly leapfrogged the Packers to make that selection, thinking that, you know, the Packers might uh, go wide receiver with that pick. And, you know, it was kind of interesting, Andrew, as I'm just watching my... Twitter feed throughout the draft. I mean, it was it was almost comical to see the people just clamoring for a wide receiver with every pick, and it just became kind of a running joke uh, towards the end of the draft, where it's like, are we really going to go this entire draft without taking a receiver? But um, I I don't really think beyond that. Second third round that there was really a guy that you can count on and step in and that Aaron Rodgers is going to develop a rapport with right away and you know be a reliable uh, receiver that gets the packers over the hump this year i mean I think just the consensus you know not to use the the buzzword but the consensus narrative was you know the packers are one big playmaking wide receiver and maybe a middle linebacker away from a super Bowl which for a variety of reasons, I just think is is kind of a, a real leap uh, logically there, based on how badly uh, San Francisco just ran over Green Bay in that NFC Championship game, both literally on the ground and just you know uh, just figuratively, they just kind of ran the Packers out of the building there in the NFC Championship game. Um, but I really think that you know there just wasn't really an impact receiver to be had. In year one, beyond those first couple rounds, and I, I think that's why the Packers did not go in that direction, and why I, as a fan, am, am at least holding out um, some semblance of optimism that that this can still be a effective draft class. And I think, you know, I was I was telling you earlier in the week when we were talking about this that uh, that both the Packers and Eagles kind of got mm. consensus bottom you know, five, six team rankings in the draft classes uh, among the league. Um, and I think a lot of that is really looking at, you know, what the perceived consensus need is for the team. I think obviously for the for the Eagles not taking a cornerback and for the Packers not taking a wide receiver is why, um, you know, their classes slip so low. But I think also what concerns me more than that was the – Kind of consensus perception around the league from uh when the packers took their their specific draft picks because um, as I talked about in the podcast last week, you know the draft is as much about getting good value for the pick as it is getting a guy who is you know scheme fit and um you know is is going to be a good character person and stuff like that, and all those other aspects that go into whether or not a pick is deemed a successful pick, I think is, you know, one of one of it's maybe not the, the biggest issue, but uh, you know, if, if we look back on this draft in a couple of years and there were wide receivers who were a better value uh, than some of these guys that the Packers took in these second, third, fourth round picks that, that got pretty heavily scrutinized, whether it be the, the second round pick right running back AJ Dillon, the third round pick tight end, uh, Josiah Degara, who like he was valued as a late mm-hmm. potentially undrafted pick you know rounds five through seven, and you'd pick him in the third round uh, and then kamal Martin linebacker in the fifth round was not rated very highly either um you know I think it's as much about the the value that you get with those picks uh as you know as much as it is the you know the scheme fit and stuff like that i'm I'm intrigued to see how. You know, guys like Josiah and AJ Dillon are, are used in this team but I can understand why you know people have that perception of this draft class um, you know on the outside looking in because uh, there is just there were some evident needs on this team and they were not addressed through the draft is that kind of you know the I mean how do you how do you view you know the Packers draft and then you know how do you kind of look at the Eagles kind of taking us a, a step out of the you know, step away from the uh, the follower perspective, and how do you how do you feel the Eagles address their yeah, own I mean, needs in this draft? Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I talked a little bit about the needs already. I mean, biggest need for Eagles was cornerback. I mean, I'm telling you, and there was so much value in mm-hmm. the corners in this draft that many corners that were even taken fourth, third round had second round grades on them, and they would have been fantastic selections. So for the Eagles to sit there and you know. You know, trying to invest into Jalen Hurts, you know, um, in that second round when there was plenty of corners there, Um, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's fine. I don't mind third round selection. Davion Taylor needed linebacker help. Um, Eagles linebackers, you could argue is another, probably, probably their second major need. Um, I don't mind that. I don't mind the Kayvon Wallace pick in the fourth round uh, for the safety, but just not a drafting corner is kind of similar to me about Green Bay, not taking a receiver Um, because I really just feel that Mm -hmm. a corner you needed at least one, even if, even if you took a guy in the second or third round. um, Yeah. And I mean, who knows? Maybe they, maybe they have some trades in mind. Maybe they're going to work with another team, Mm -hmm. but I I just, I I really just don't know how you sit there and you let the Cowboys take CD Lamb. And then you don't, add a quarterback or a cornerback because uh, three-headed mm-hmm. monster, not to mention with Zeke Elliott back there, we're just going to even open up play action even more. Like how you don't address the sec, like how you don't address the secondary early and often, like you take one piece of your secondary in the fourth round. Like, you know, to me, that's, that, that's the biggest head scratcher out of this draft for me for the Eagles is not even really a pick anymore because you know, I understand somewhat of the selection of Jalen Hurts. I understand Jalen Rager why they took him, but the the biggest head scratcher for me with the Eagles was that. Now, if you flip it to the uh, to the the Packers, their biggest pick that I really didn't like was AJ Dillon. Be- yeah, yeah, because I, I don't I don't really, really? Get, you know, Aaron Jones is a great running mm. back, and even the guys behind him are st- like Jamal Williams. Um, you know, I mean, has fumbling issues. I mean, I, I we've seen that. Still a good running back, and I still like Dexter Williams, our sixth round pick last year. I may be a li- I may be a little partial, um, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: I've seen him. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my Notre Dame guys. I've you seen love play, your Notre Dame guys. You know, I mean, he's a great guy. Speed, speedy guy. Holds on to the ball. Like I really like him. So to take a running back in the second round, I mean. I I see their I see their viewpoint on it because there was a run on running backs. Um, um, Edwards Hilaire went right at the end there to 32, and then DeAndre Soap went 35. Jonathan Taylor went 41. K. Akers went 52. J.K. Dobbins went 55. So then they were like, "Oh, okay, the run on the running back starting." So then they took AJ Dillon at 62. So you know, I look at that and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, okay. I guess they wanted a running back, but to me, it just doesn't make sense because there was still some guys there that they could have taken, you know, there was, they could have gone up and got Denzel Mims, which I really thought they were going to do when I saw. Denzel...
0: Yeah. I thought he was kind of the last guy that the Packers yeah. might be. When looking I saw at him, first fa- two rounds, when I saw him falling,
1: Mims, I was he like, he went three picks. Okay. Maybe they make a play for Mims. Um, and I did, you know, the Jets ended up taking him, and the Jets taking him makes sense. You get Darnold, a the weapon. They just solidify their offensive line. So I was like, all right, maybe Green Bay kind of hops up and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of take, kind, you know, kind of just, you just like, hey, you know, we want this guy or whatever. But I also wouldn't have mind if they would have went down a little bit farther, taken Lynn Bowden, who the Raiders ended up taking, who is kind of that Swiss Army kind of role with Kentucky, but he's also going to be primarily a wide receiver. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that you compare with Jalen Hurts. You know, Jalen Hurts is going to be a primary quarterback, whereas you look at Lynn Bowden, who's going to be a primary wide receiver. Because Jalen Hurts was told, you know, that he needed to go enter the draft as a wide receiver, do wide receiver drills. Ultimately, he said no. They told Lynn Bowden, like, hey, up your draft stock, mm-hmm. be a wide receiver. He does it, does great in his offensive, you know, wide receiver skills in his, uh, like, all of his, uh, like, training camps and whatever in college. Get drafted in the third round, um, by the Raiders. So I think he's, he's going to make a great, mm-hmm. you know, for them, but that was the biggest head scratcher for me for the the Packers. It wasn't Jordan Love. It was, it was taking AJ Dillon right there. I, I kind of quite didn't understand that one. I think that's the biggest head scratching pick for
0: me for them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this kind of segues nicely into, you know, another thought that I had as far as, um, you know, what do we kind of learn about uh, what at least GMs and head coaches are kind of thinking the direction the league is heading is based on this draft? Because, you I mean, you obviously come off a, a season where the Kansas City Chiefs, Chiefs, who just like ran track meets around some teams en route to a Super Bowl this year. And, you know, it was it was the kind of consummate battle of the good offense versus the good defense in the Super Bowl. And we saw that. Ultimately, although the Chiefs defense did make some plays in that, in that game to help solidify it, um, it, it, it was about just putting so many guys on the field that a defense can't stop mm-hmm. that um, you just overwhelm them. And, 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 I, and I think eventually, uh, eventually they just tired out uh, San Francisco in that game. So, and then you look at the, the number of wide receivers that I listed, I think just a dozen in the first two rounds um, of this draft. Uh, And I think that's why I think that's just I I, I won't say whether it's and I think it's for history to judge whether it's, you know, the Packers trying to be the smartest or essentially being the the dumbest guy in the room uh, with the direction that they decided to go when when the entire league seems to be shifting towards let's score as many points as we can. The Packers are kind of loading up on, on guys to go you know we're going to run the ball down your throat and and we're going to you know play good defense and and keep your offense off the field i mean uh, how do you kind of reconcile the where the league is at right now and you know obviously it's a cyclical league we've we've kind of seen um you know run first attacks uh in in you know decades past dominate but um you know, where 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 do you kind of see the league at as far in, in you know as far as the uh, the passing and and excessive offense that we, you know, have come to mm-hmm. you know I recognize think, as the norm in Kansas the league I think Kansas City right is now.
1: definitely changing the game with how the offense is viewed because, I mean, you mentioned it like weapons, 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 mm-hmm. and Kansas City already has enough weapons, and then they draft Edwards-Hilaire, who Andy Reid is going to utilize like crazy because he's basically a Brian Westbrook clone and Brian Westbrook had great years with Andy Reid in Philadelphia. Um, So if you – I mean, that's what the offense is transforming into, and that's why we have Taysom Hill-type players because offenses are constantly trying to drop these trick plays, you know, kind of catch the defense off guard. So you're trying to use these Swiss Army knife-type players that can do multiple things for you and just kind of keep the defense on the toes because ultimately, like, the, the league really isn't a run first, you know, league. It, it's not. I mean, we've transitioned out of that early two thousands. That's what we saw kind of, you know, up until about 2012, 2013 is kind of when the league kind of transitioned to, all right, you know, we're going to air it out. That's when RPOs were kind of getting processed, you know, kind of, we have more like spread offenses. Now we kind of nobody really ever really runs with like a West coast running type of offense anymore. Um, you, you can argue that, you know, Seattle with Pete Carroll, they kind of still run that offense, but it's, it's more just pass happy. Let's get, you know, let's get all of our weapons out on the field at once. You know, we see a lot of empty backfield sets where, you know, running backs are getting split out wide. Now. Um, we see that a lot. And I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. we're, I'm not saying that like, the league is transitioning away from running backs because they're not, I mean, you're still going to run the ball probably. 15, 20, you know, maybe 25 types times a game, but you're going to pass upwards of 40 times a game is what the league is now. It's not a 50-50 league anymore. Teams are more pass-happy, even with terrible, you know, quarterbacks, I will say. I mean, if you look, a big instance of that is Jameis Winston last year. I mean, Winston was passing the ball, you know, 50 times a game. Um, it's why he threw 30 interceptions, and but he also had 30 touchdowns. I mean – leagues the league as a whole is very pass happy even if the quarterbacks really aren't going to be going to thrive in that offense because winston didn't thrive in that offense i mean teams knew that he was passing and you know he passed on they passed on you know second down third down like they pretty much ran the ball only on first down and then got their running backs off the field and a lot of teams are transitioning into that to where you know, let's, hey, mm-hmm. let's run the ball on first down. If you can get me four yards, okay, good job. Now go back to the bench, like, or go split out wide or whatever. You're going to go catch the ball now. And I think that that's what the league is basically turning it into.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think the A.J. Dillon pick, I mean, you just, you look at him uh, for the Packers and, like, I think, you know, the, the immediate concern, I think, as far as my end was kind of, you know, is – what is the floor of a running back pick right now? Because the last time the Packers, I think, took a running back that high, <laughs> it was Eddie Lacey in the second round. And he, you know, if you look back at his first couple yeah. of years, he he ran over people and, and threw people, and, and he was pretty dominant. And then, yeah. you know, frankly, he kind of ate his way out of the league. But, um, you know, if, I, I think that is the potential floor of, of of a pick like this, is a is a guy who, you know, if he uh, and I'm sure the Packers are going to be all over making sure he uh, diets correctly and is not, uh, you know, engaging in some of the kind of behavior that got Lacy uh, out of the league in the in a few years. But um, you know, I think that is. I'm not going to go as far as the other end of the spectrum, which some people are, you know, saying this could be another Derrick Henry. I, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm keeping my uh, my. Optimism, realistic on on that pick, but um, you know if he is a a guy who, you know maybe just is is Lacy plus a couple years on on the back end, uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't feel too bad about a pick like that because he was a big part of that offense for a couple years. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think history is going to judge. But I think I, I think it is very much a draft for the Packers that they mm-hmm. did not play safe. I mean, they did not. Uh, just pick the guys that that were mocked to them. I mean, and that was kind of what kind of gave me a a sick sense of, uh, you know, kind of uh, catharsis, I guess, out of this whole process is all these guys who mocked and mocked and did all these, you know, 15 mock drafts for the Packers and were posting every week, you know, this is who I think they're taking using some draft program and stuff like that. Every one of those was wrong. And like, you know, I, I thought that was like, at least giving me you know some catharsis in this, because you know I, I find that whole prognosticating business a little bit you know obtuse as far as its relevancy sometimes it's it's fun to talk about who who the packers might take and stuff like that, but I think these people who do a seven round mock draft where they're just picking against a computer uh, doesn't really uh, doesn't really give a real sense of, of how people in that moment are going to react to their team needs and stuff like that. So but I but I think all that being said, that uh, this is still very much a draft that's, you know, for the Packers will be judged uh, in two to three years, you know, whether whether some of these guys uh, have turned into impact players or not. I mean they they've picked up quite a bit of offensive line depth in the in the sixth round. Uh Olam and John Runyon, who, you know, is the is the legacy. Okay. Uh, his, his father was a long time Eagle, um, you know, a good, good offensive guard for you guys for a number of years. And uh, then Jake Hanson out of Oregon and uh, Simone step, stepaniak out of Indiana and in, with their last pick in the sixth round. So, um, you know, there, there's still, I think uh, potential like there is for any draft class of uh, these guys being impact players, but, you know, just to kind of, uh, wrap the conversation up, uh, Andrew, you know, I wanted to just kind of circle back one time. And as you kind of look, look at the, uh, guys that the Eagles picked up, um, you know, who, who is maybe your underrated sleeper pick, you know, a guy, you know, maybe after round three, uh, that, or, you know, three or later that you feel, uh, could step in and, uh, and have an immediate impact on, uh, on the Eagles the fourth this round year. Selection,
1: Uh, Kayvon Wallace. Uh, yeah, yeah I think, i i okay. initially I waited for this pick I waited for them to finally take you know some kind of secondary help and i mean he played he, he was a Clemson player Clemson isn't really known for their defense you know i mean except their you know their defensive line in the last couple of years has been pretty solid in the n f l um but the secondary you know Clemsons secondary you know it, it is what it is, but I really like this guy especially because he doesn't have a whole lot of competition you know um, Rodney McLeod, he, he's gonna stay there at free safety, but Jalen Mills is the guy that he's been bouncing back and forth. I mean, play he he started at safety, wasn't working, so they put him to corner, wasn't working. Now that um, you know, uh, now that you know, what's his name? I can't remember now. Wow, uh, now that Malcolm Jenkins um, went back to New Orleans, you know, they're like, oh, okay, Jalen Mills, here you go, you're gonna get thrown back in there. And then they don't really have much behind them. You know, they have Marcus Epps, who came uh, last year from Minnesota. Will Parks came from Denver. Those are the guys kind of backing them up right now. And then you have Kayvon Wallace, who enters in there. Um, Young guy with a lot of stuff to prove. And I'm not saying he's going to start this year, but, I mean, if Jalen Mills can't figure it out, I could definitely see them giving Wallace a try. And, I mean – Especially with you know playing in and against the Cowboys now, with Cowboys having all these weapons, they may go four, five corners out there. Maybe, maybe you go four corners, three de- three safeties. I mean, something like that. They gotta switch, try something. So Wallace is definitely gonna get some reps. They can put him down there, in nickel corner, because most safeties will end up most safeties end up dropping into that nickel corner role anyways. Um, so I'm I'm really excited for him. I think that's my that's mm-hmm. my best value pick for them. In the draft, because I think he was a third, second, second, third round guy, so I'm I'm really excited to see how he's gonna do, he, he's gonna do. That. I think that's gonna be my best value pick.
0: I was really hoping you would go with uh, what I thought was one of the best names <laughs> in, the, in the draft. Uh, just by yeah. name alone was uh, Prince T- Prince Taya Winogo out of Auburn. No, I mean and, and he, he definitely wasn't, he wasn't a bad I do like pick that either.
1: Selection. He was mostly graded as a round 4th round pick. Um, and he's a solid left tackle. He's just extremely raw. And I think that that's, he's kind of going to do what Andre Dillard la- mm-hmm. did last year and sit. I think he's really going to sit for a year. Because um, if the Eagles need somebody to, you know, maybe give Dillard a breather, they do have Jordan milotto who has had two years now on the roster to learn the playbook. And I think he'll kind of step in there. Um. obviously something more drastic happens we could see Winogo get you know put in there um, but I think he the Eagles did it right last year with you know letting Jason Peters play out one more year even though I mean he was I, I love Jason Peters he's a Hall of Fame player I think but man last year was pretty brutal with all the uh, holding penalties a lot of false starts he kind of killed a lot of drives but it let Dillard kind of you know learn for a year and I think that that's what Winogo is going to need. Um, I, I definitely think that was a great pick as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm just, I think I'm more excited for Wallace just because the secondary needs so much help, and I think, I think he will end up playing a big role this year. Winogo, I think, is more just going to sit and learn um, for a year. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me. Uh as far as the Packers potential sleepers. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I like the the pick of the legacy there, John Runyan in the in the sixth round. And um, I think uh, I'm I'm holding out hope that, you know, despite the Packers not yeah. going with a wide receiver, that this Josiah Degara is a guy that fits well into the Packers scheme. Uh you know, they've in the they haven't done it a ton in the regular season, but they certainly in the preseason were uh, experimenting with different things with their former yes. fullback Danny Vitale, who's now, I believe, a Patriot. Um, uh, you know, and, and they were kind of experiment. Lafleur clearly likes that that H back role. Um, so I, I'm interested to see what they do with him, uh, and I'm also interested to see you know, especially with uh, Jimmy Graham out of the way, what their uh, pick from last yeah. year. I believe he was the second or third rounder, Jay Sternberger uh, does keep an eye out for that guy. Cause I, I, I think he is a guy who, you know, is going to step in and make an immediate impact that he really couldn't make last year because he just wasn't getting the snaps. He was a third round pick, uh, 75th overall out of A&M last year. Um, and, and he's a guy I think who could, who could, uh, step in and, you know, I think the Packers are still getting an influx of talent, whether it be from guys returning from injury, like Equinemius St. Brown or Sternberger getting new opportunities with, uh, with Jimmy Graham gone. So I'm not super concerned about the level of playmakers on the Packers offense right now. Um, and I, I think uh, if anything, really this draft, you know, as much as people want to say that this draft was a middle finger to Aaron Rodgers, uh, I really think it has potential uh, to be a, a draft that not only uh, sets this team up, you know, good in the long term, I think it also uh shows a tremendous amount of faith in Aaron Rodgers and that uh that they um are kind of understanding that you know bringing in a fifth round wide receiver who's maybe going to get a bunch of reps and uh you know fourth or fifth round receiver you know maybe third uh is is a guy who uh is going to get a lot of reps take away reps from guys that Rodgers has more history with and just be another Kind of guy to start over from square one with, which I think you know is is not necessarily helpful at the stage of the career that rogers is in i think if if they had gone wide receiver in one of the first two picks, um, you know that was a potentially a guy that you, you would maybe tolerate with some of that because of the natural ability that that you would probably be getting out of a player like that. but I think the way the draft fell. You know, their their desire to uh, pick up a guy in Jordan Love who they felt was their guy, but they only gave up a fourth-round pick to move up four spots and get. Uh, I'm totally fine with that, uh, and I think, you know, history will judge beyond that. Uh, but I think this is very much a draft that uh, people are going to be looking back on, and I'm not exactly saving receipts or anything like that, uh, but I, I am kind of mentally taking note of the... Uh, the lack of people that uh, really gave this draft class much of a chance, because if it uh, turns around to be an impact class for the Packers this year um, and beyond, I think it's, uh, you know, one that we're going to be looking back and potentially saying we told you so. So, uh, especially Gutekun Swobie. So uh, any closing thoughts, Andrew, any other, uh, you know, things from other, from the Eagles perspective or just the draft in general, did you, was there anybody that you, uh, any teams mm-hmm. that you thought had uh, good drafts any players that oh, you thought should, slid uh, further than they the might Dolphins anything a like bit, that man,
1: i mean holy crap what a yeah. what a draft for them i mean anytime you have three first round picks i mean you got to come away with something, and i think the biggest i think the biggest win for them was the fact that they didn't have to trade up they i mean they stayed there at five, got to a and they got their guy. I mean, Miami's been tanking since last year to get Tua, but then all of a sudden, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick quietly goes out there and wins them some games, and you're like, oh no, like, are you going to miss out on Tua? Is, uh, you know, are, are the Chargers going to leapfrog you? I mean, they stayed there. They got Tua. They got, you know, a solid left tackle in Austin Jackson, who I think is going to be really good. Um, then they're, they're, you know, the pick that they saw after the Green Bay. They drafted a uh, Noah Igbenagi, um, corner from Ohio State, who um, Auburn. That's right. I, I got him in. I think I uh, Igbinobi from Auburn. But um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> but Igbenagi was there kind of a surprise pick um, because I think I don't really think you know. I mean, you didn't think Miami was taking corners because you have Xavier Howard, who turned out to be a really solid lockdown corner. And then they just picked up Byron Jones. So you're like, you know, why is Igbenabi? Especially because a lot of the AFC East offensives now really aren't, you know, that I don't want to say great, but they're not good. I mean, you got rid of Tom Brady finally um, after, you know, years. You know, the other AFC East offenses really aren't looking that solid. So you kind of would, were, we're expecting them to maybe get some more offensive line help, maybe double dip on offensive linemen in the first round, you know, maybe look at linebacker somewhere right there. But instead they, they, they mm-hmm. take an Igbenabi, which I think, you know, kind of points to the fact that Xavier Howard's probably going to be done after this year with his contract, wanting to get re-upped. He's going to command a lot of money. Um, so, you know, I mean, they take him, they take Rayquan Davis, who's a solid nose tackle in the second round. Um, they took Robert Hunt as well, who's a solid guard. Uh, they took another guard, Solomon McKinley, in the fourth round, and I think the most intriguing pick for me for them came in that it came in the seventh round when they took Malcolm Perry, who um, most people should know, um, set a bunch of records at Navy. Uh, actually, set the NCAA record for most rushing yards in a career by a quarterback. Um, but he entered he entered as a wide receiver, um, and I, the, uh, Miami's depth chart I actually lists him as a running back, but he's going to play that taysom Hill type role and add a lot of explosiveness to that offense. So there's no doubt that he's going to make the team, he's going to be there, and I, I love that selection as well, because that's going to give um, whoever's under center a lot more, um, a lot more explosive, explosiveness there. You know they didn't really address uh, wide receiver, um, which I really didn't think they had to. Um, the I think the biggest question out of the Dolphins is I want to, your opinion on this too. Like, what do you think is is Tua going to sit for a year behind Fitzpatrick, or they going to are they going to throw him in there right away? Because I still don't know what they're thinking. I don't know if they're going to let him sit for a year because there's no doubt that Fitzpatrick is a very smart quarterback. Um. So I, I kind of been thinking about it and racking my mm-hmm. brain on it. And I really don't know what's best. If you want to just throw them in there or do you let him sit?
0: Well, I think the trend that we've seen in the last couple of years is some of these guys are getting thrown in right away. Um, and you know, whether it be like a Trubisky or I, I think, uh, well, Mahomes was starting by year two. Um, and, uh, you know, some of these guys I think are getting thrown in right away. And I think, uh, Especially if you feel like you know, I think one of the considerations there too is uh do we have the offensive front that's gonna protect our long term, you know, investment here. Um and I, I think what they what they did picking up Austin Jackson at eighteen uh is definitely gonna help shore up that offensive line. Um and, and then uh Robert Hunt in the second round out of Louisiana Lafayette. Um uh, they, You know, they, they, they spent a few picks trying to make sure that their investment is protected in that top five pick. And, uh, yeah, with the receivers he's going to have to throw to, um, you know, I think Miami has to think we are putting him in a in a position to succeed right away. And if he hits the ground running, I, I think one of the major, you know, considerations there too, unfortunately, is all this COVID business. And uh, I think the um, – the, that all that stuff, you know, whether it be training camps, whether it be installation of offenses, uh whether it be just familiarity with these players is going to be affected by this and I think that's where you may see you know more of a potential that Fitzpatrick or or somebody else starts um is if uh is mm. if you know Tua doesn't really just get the chance to get the reps uh before we start the season. I think that's going to be a potential inhibitor um you know to uh, both this season getting started and, uh, you know, both uh, that and, you know, guys like Tua getting the opportunity to start at the NFL's most important position. Um, you know, so I, I think there's definitely potential, but, uh, you know, things have to change pretty drastically, I think, as far as the, just the way of the world right now. But, um, yeah, any other um, uh, any other you know, I mean, notes I, on the I draft think, or anything like that? I think, you know, it was like
1: just that? crazy to, like, the lack of trades that we saw, too, was kind of a big thing. Yeah,
0: I was just gonna point that out if you didn't mention it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just the relative lack of trades, especially in the first round, uh, in the, especially in the first uh, fifteen picks. There, there was no movement, um, mm-hmm. and then the Packers were I think were one of four in the first round that uh, moved. So, yeah, yeah, the relative lack of trades was uh, kind of a surprising aspect and one that I think that you know some people saw coming as far as the you know although I think most of those trades are made over you know, phone calls anyway, so that wasn't really affected. But I think just, you know, GMs having to work worry about every other little facet may have uh, impacted their ability mm. to have yeah, those types and then, of trade negotiations. Yeah, it was, so, it was interesting
1: because, I sure. mean, you just see every single team kind of like, you know, you're like, oh, a trade's coming up here, a trade's coming up here. And then everybody just kind of sat put and, you know, kind of took their man. And then, you know, I think the first trade we saw was, I believe, San Francisco – uh, traded up and they took a uh, Javon Kinlaw. And I want to point out uh, to everybody real quick, like how their defense shakes out now because they have a very good chance to repeat in the NFC. Cause I mean, I don't know if you've looked at their defense, but I mean, it, it's pretty scary. They have Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa and Javon Kinlaw. Now on that defensive line, that's, that's four, that's four first round picks on that defensive <laughs> line and they just, they picked up D Ford from Kansas city in a trade backing them up on the edge. I mean, they, they're, they're secondary is solid. They're, you know, their linebackers are solid. They got Trent, they got um, Jimmy Grappolo some weapons. They traded for Trent Williams to replace Joe Staley, who retired. I mean, they did everything right. You know, I mean, you know, kudos to Kyle Shanahan, you know, and the, the GM for, for that. Cause, because they absolutely killed this draft. They killed free agency so far. And they also picked up um who else did they oh they got they shipped out um uh Matt Breda to the Dolphins. I think that was the only real loss that they had. But I mean I mean they killed they killed this entire draft. I mean, mm-hmm. their offense now is pretty solid. I mean that I know I wanted to point out the 49ers because, I mean I nobody expected them to make that trade at all either, which I think was crazy we were all expecting a couple teams to trade up for a receiver. I mean, they traded up for Javon Kinlaw. And I think that was, you know, every, we saw that trade and we were like, Oh, it's going to be Jerry Judy or CD lamb. And then boom, they take another defensive tackle. And you know, that defense is just insane now.
0: Yeah. The Rich really got richer on that end. And I think, uh, you know, the 49ers definitely remain the class of the NFC for sure. Until proven otherwise, well, Andrew, uh wanted to cut this off before we uh just drone yeah. on here for another two hours. Obviously that we could beat this whole draft to death talking about every prospect and, mm-hmm. and uh every, you know, team that may have gotten better, may not have. You know, obviously it's just it's just a waiting game, I think, to uh figure out first if we're gonna have a season and then uh you know, how these guys fit in with their new teams. But it's always fun to kinda in the in the week after the draft take a look and and kind of project who we thought, uh, you know, got better. Who, you know, still has a lot of work to do as far as uh, rounding out their team. So I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, please feel free to plug any socials uh, Lodge, you want right I, everybody now. Could, what, though. what do you got uh, just going check on Check out lately?
1: VegasSportsDaily.com. com. We also have a uh, a Facebook page as well. That's mostly where a lot of our um, social media comes from. Um, we have a uh, Twitter as well. Uh, v Sports Daily, um, just for Vegas Sports Daily. Um, go ahead and check that out um you know it it was supposed to be a good you know we we had credentials for that draft you know we were expecting to go there get some good coverage and kind of fell through but i mean we're busting through in vegas man i mean it's it's pretty crazy to see um obviously like you know i'm not i don't live in vegas i have a team out there you know i kind of monitor stuff from here um basically you know keeping up with the website and stuff but if everybody uh Give us a follow on Twitter, like the Facebook page. Facebook page is growing like crazy. You know, we're getting thousands and thousands of views per post. So, um, yeah, and again, I do thank you for having me on here. It was super fun. And like you said, I mean, we've had talks before where we could drone on for hours.
0: Definitely, yeah. And, you know, yes. I, I, that was yeah, surprising I mean, to know. I didn't know you I mean, we're credentialed credential
1: to – we were at almost every Vegas Golden Knights game, Las Vegas Aces. Um I mean we're still working on getting um Raiders credentials. Obviously, you know, we're basically just waiting on the season to be announced if it's gonna even happen. Um so that's the biggest thing. But um I mean yeah, we're credentialed for you know, we're getting credentialed for everything. It's it's pre- it's pretty nice to see.
0: Well, That's awesome! Great for you, man. Um, Yeah, just wanted to add to that. uh, You know, for all the NFL fans out there, definitely be checking out Andrew's stuff. He really knows his stuff. Uh, Obviously, he and I go back a few years. I'll talk a little bit more about Mm -hmm. this in the intro. But um, you know, you and I go back a number of years, and you've been writing good stuff for a number of years now. So, um, just wanted to thank you again for coming on the show. If you have listened to all. 80, nearly 81 minutes of this podcast as of just of the interview. And obviously I'll add another, you know, intro on top of this. You are the real MVP. Thank you so much for joining the show today. And uh, let me know if you, uh, what you thought of of your team's draft in the comments uh, of either this episode or um, just if you can shoot me a tweet at at Zach Bellman underscore WNY of what you thought your team did in this draft that would be amazing uh thank you so much for listening and have a great rest of your day